Hello everybody. Welcome to episode six of Level Up, our weekly Q&A show where your questions drive our conversation. If you're watching on LinkedIn on YouTube and would like to join in, please follow the links in the chat to register and we'll send you over to Slido. Slido is where you get to join in and really drive the show by adding in your questions or voting up the questions that you want answered. Without your questions, we don't have anything to talk about and we'll just end up talking amongst ourselves. So head on over there and it'll be great to see you. The first half of our show is general question and answers. This week's theme is cyber resilience. So you can ask pretty much anything related to that. In the second half, we choose a topic we want to spend a little more time on and more of that later. So let's dive in and meet our panel for today. We'll start here in the UK with Melanie Alden. Melanie is CEO and founder of Bob's Business and is focused on the human side of cyber resilience. Welcome, Melanie. Good morning, Ellie. A little later in the show, Melanie is going to be leading today's focus topic, which is all about using your own IT equipment for work. So thanks for that, Melanie. Okay, so let's move on to Melbourne, Australia and meet Simon Roller. Simon is Director, SR Advisory and Principal Consultant at DB Results. Hi, Simon. Welcome, Melanie. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for the opportunity Hi, for, uh, to be able to be part of the panel. Uh, very much looking forward to it. Great. And on to Singapore now. Uh, next joining us is uh, Shabajit Bose, um, Director of Training at Cyber Services. Welcome, Jit. Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Sharbojit Bose. You can call me Jit. And I'm from Singapore and there to answer your questions. Thank you. Marvellous. Thank you very much. Okay, so moving up to South Africa, we welcome back what is our, our veteran panellist now, Etienne Chardelot. <laughs> Etienne's, <laughs> Etienne's a specialist IT consultant um, working in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Hi, Etienne. Hi, welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I also spend a little bit of time looking at 27001 information security, which is a slightly broader topic, but you know, cybersecurity would be a part of that. So looking forward to answering some questions today. Great, thank you. And then uh, finally, completing our panel and joining us from Egypt is uh, Mustafa Al-Shameh. Uh, Mustafa is a consultant and audit manager at Edubyte. So welcome, Mustafa. Yeah, thank you, Eddie, and welcome uh, everyone to this great show. And uh, I hope that we can share knowledge today. Great, thanks very much, everyone. Now, if you at home feel like you would like to be in the hot seat and you can ask, answer questions like these, maybe in your specialist subject, you can always join us on the panel. Um, you just have to put yourself forward. Okay, so let's jump straight in to the first question and hear from our question master for today, um, Suchitra, who's joining us from Bangalore in India. Suchitra, the first question, please. We have a question from Elise in Boston in the US. Doesn't my ISP provide some level of security for my home? What more do I need to do? Okay, panelists. Uh, okay, well, we'll start with uh, with Jit on that one. You were first with your hand up, then we'll come to Melanie. Hi, um, it's a wonderful question. Like when we are using our internet from home, ISP is there. Now they may provide us some security, but what they can do, they cannot ensure security of your devices. If someone comes in to your 
hardware to your machine to your laptop then without uh, because you do not have an antivirus or you do not have enough security there so then the isp is inactive isp can only make sure that the data in transit through their network and when it comes to their device it is secured but your device is not there so you have to secure it for yourself lovely thank, thank you, you. Jit. great advice there melanie yeah, so there's a real common mis misconception that cybersecurity and most cybersecurity breaches are technology problems. And actually, the fact is, most cybersecurity breaches happen because of human error. It's the things, the emails that we click on, the websites that we vi uh, visit, not having secure passwords. So there's a lot we can do as individuals that actually we don't need a technical solution to. And one of the most simplest of things is actually changing potentially sort of your route of password. So you're sort of protecting yourselves and some people think that's really technical and again quite difficult but it's no different from changing your netflix passwords it's literally everything you can do go online to, to reset and change that so there's a lot that people as i say they have this fear of cybersecurity because it seems like a real technical problem when there's a lot of uh, people related things that we can do and hate behaviors and habits that we can influence and change great thank you some great advice on protecting yourself um, mustafa did you have a comment on that one yeah yeah, I think that it's related to the context of the organization at the beginning. Does the organization allow working from home or not? Do we use your own PC or it is a company PC? So we need to have it from a management system perspective. It's about the context. What is the nature of the organization? What are the services they are provide and how they should think about protecting this? Great. Thank you. Great question. Um, shall we move on to the next one then? So Chitra, please, can we have the next question? The next question is from Robert in the Netherlands. How effective are personal firewalls against cyber attacks? I'm only using the built-in Windows firewall. Thank you very much. Right, Simon, you were first with your hand up on that one. I'm sure you've all got an answer to that though. Yeah, I'm sure I'll keep it, I'll keep it relatively brief. Uh, in my in my view, a personal firewalls, whilst they're useful, they can also be quite dangerous in the sense that you can lull yourself into a false sense of of security. Uh, a firewall is just one element of defence. Uh, uh, you've got to look at all the other elements uh, uh, as well as as many uh, mentioned before around things like uh, uh, behavioural elements and social engineering as well. So a firewall is going to be important, but there are many other things you need to think about as well. So it's part of the strategy, but it's not the entire. Uh, 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 strategy that you need to do. Great, thanks, Simon. Etienne, can we hear from you on this one? Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of uh, personal firewalls, uh, they are very useful. Um, I was quite, I was quite freaked out recently when I looked at some of my personal firewall logs recently and and saw all of the IP addresses that were trying to do stuff to my PC, and and it can be very daunting. Um, I think the, the the trick is to not only use a personal firewall, but make sure you've got uh, malware and virus protection and watch out for social engineering attacks. Uh, phishing emails are probably still the easiest way for people to get into your systems rather than trying to hack in and do things from a technical uh, perspective. You know, um, the technical hacks and things are, are dangerous. But the easiest way for criminals to get into your systems, into your software, into your hardware, access your personal information is through phishing attacks. So 
um, I think we need to look at all three layers of protection. Thank you. Hopefully, um, Robert in the Netherlands has found that information um, useful. So, Chitra, can we have question number three, please? Yeah, we have a question from Veronica in San Jose in the US. What are social engineering attacks? My friend told me that these are common on social media platforms. I think Melanie had her hand up at what then? So we'll go straight to Melanie first <laughs> and then Jit will come to you afterwards. Yeah, and this just emphasizes my previous point that people tend to be sort of the the first line of attack really more than anything else. So social engineering is scams. They're people trying to persuade you to give out information, knowing details about you and who you are. And a lot of cyber criminals will take that information to be able to create um, social media attacks. So whether that's emails, whether that's texts, whether that's phone calls, so vishing, smishing and phishing in whichever order. <laughs> um, and it's about how they entice you to respond to those levels of communication. So trying to get you to click on links, trying to get you to be able to uh, give your usernames and your passwords in order to be able to extract details. So sometimes what those criminals will do is they will look at your online profile, see what you're posting on Facebook, see what you're posting on Instagram, and what your friends and your family are posting as well to be able to be able to get enough information to be able to craft messaging that actually feels a bit personal, that feels like something that you, somebody who knows you would, would potentially write or somebody who understands but it's all about looking at munching your behavior and seeing what is actually going to persuade you is it your online shopping habits is it your knowledge of somebody else that might actually entice you to respond to those emails thinking that it's a trusted third party thinking that actually it's somebody there to help you so there are certain techniques that um uh, social engineers use around trying to get you to do things in sense of urgency, try to persuade you to do something sense of guilt. So various different ways that they pull on our emotions in order to get us to respond. And, and that's what social engineering attacks are. Yeah, that's, that's scary stuff, isn't it? Jit, do you have more thoughts to add um, to Melanie's response? Yeah, well, Melanie is surely an expert in this. So just to put in simple words, one thing is the security is as good as its weakest link. And we humans are the weakest link. We are emotional people and our emotion can be exploited very easily. And how easily I can tell you, people give calls and say, hey, you have won a lottery. Can you give me your phone number? Then they tell you that, hey, I'm going to send you a special code on your phone. Then it is actually the OTP and then they get it. Now, what happened is um, recently, I give you some data in India. Now, people are very much educated that you do not give your OTP. So now the crooks come up with a different idea. So they sent an OTP to this person, but he says, you know, sir, you don't give me the OTP because of security, but I give you this number. Why didn't you add up this number to your OTP and give me the addition, the, the, the result? Well, if you have X and Y and you give the X plus Y, well, you can know all the numbers. So that's how they cheat people. They make them fools. And that's where many things happen. So we'll have to be. Now, social media, which um, also was mentioned, you know, if we have too many things in our social media, we can also be in trouble. So we'll have to look and keep a balance of what we want to share and want to brag about with our friends. Huh? It's, it's nice. I know I, I also do it sometime, but not giving up my secrets. Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, Melanie, I think someone is trying to say something. 
Yeah, it's um, it, one of those things, isn't it? All of the recent back to school photos in the UK are a classic example of that, aren't they? By posting a, a picture of your child and their return to school, you're suddenly giving away where your child goes to school and uh, what location you're in. So the balance between bragging and, um, and security is a really important one. Thanks for that, Chip. Um, okay, Suchitra, please, can we have the next question? Sure. We have a question from Sam in Dundee. What is data leakage and how can I prevent this from happening at our company? Okay. Uh, okay, we'll come to Simon first on this one and then and then Melanie and then um, we'll see how much time we have left on the question. Okay, so uh, data loss prevention or uh, 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 data exfiltration. This is that these are really important aspects that we need to think about in relation to our, our data security for ourselves, but also for our organizations. It's basically where we accidentally or inadvertently or purposely actually have data leave, you know, leaving our organization. Now that could be uh, through uh, a, a bad actor getting access to our systems and then uh, exporting information uh, to, to their environment. It could be uh, our accidentally you know, leaving leaving a, a USB on the bus uh, with a whole bunch of customer data on. So it's it's really, really big issue and it drives a lot of issues around the personal ident ident identifiable information being being lost and so on, yes. So it's it's really, really important. There are many ways we can do it. Now, we, there, are, there are many ways we can actually prevent it. Uh, there are systems that we can put in place. We can have next generation firewalls, which will actually inspect information going across the boundary to make sure it's it's, it's not the right, uh, it, it is the right, uh, information. We can also use encryption as well, uh, both at rest but also in transit. So there are many technical elements, but there's also some behavioural elements as well in terms of how we use information, how we store information, and what's the appropriate uh, ways that that information is being used. So it's a really, really important topic. Probably one you could have a whole session on moving forward. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, Simon. Maybe we'll organise that at a later date. <laughs> Melanie, what are your thoughts on this one? Yes, it comes back down to that that understanding. So first of all, okay, what data are you worried about losing within your organization? What is important to you? What is sensitive? And I think, you know, there is what's happened, especially with COVID is we have a lot of connected devices. We have, you know, we'll touch on the bring your own device and, and, and what have you in the next session. But it's very much there's lots of methods and ways that data can come out. And a lot, a lot of the time, a lot of the data leakage isn't malicious. It's not intentional. It's not meant to, to cause damage or harm to an organization. It's somebody actually sharing information information to a personal account because they want to do work from home or sharing it to other people because they think they have access or not understanding what access levels they have so it's that balance between understanding what information you have and what forms of communication or technology should you use to share that information and more often than not there's the educational piece around that and having those conversations of what is important to us as a company and what what methods of communication should we use in order to prevent data leakage. Thank you, Melanie. Um, I think Mustafa, you had some more um, thoughts you wanted to share on that question. Yeah, uh, I think that the most important thing we should take care about and data leakage is data classification. If we have data classification at the beginning, this will make us clear about what should be protected and what is the crisis or the disaster we have if we lost any type of data. It would be easy at the beginning to know what type is it, what is the classification level. 
Thank you so much. These questions are great, and I'm sure we could spend a lot more time on any of them, but I want to make sure we get through the ones that people have posted. So, yeah. um, Sujita, please, can we have the next question? We have a question from Jeffrey in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. I'm a crypto investor, but I'm really worried that someone could steal my crypto assets. How can I ensure that my crypto assets are completely secure and safe from hackers? Great. Simon was first off the mark with that one. So we'll hear from you first. So this is a no, this is a really good question and, and a, a very, very basic principle that we have when we think about data security. And the first thing I always suggest to customers when we think about a, an asset, because if, if an asset has value to you, it will have value to a, a bad actor, it will, have, it will have value to a cyber criminal. So the most important thing you need to do is think, does my asset actually need to be online? Do I actually have to have it up and running? Do I actually have to have it available on the network at all times? Because if you don't, then turn it off, yeah? If you don't actually need the asset available all the time, then why not actually secure it by actually not having it on the, on, on the network at all? So sometimes it's as simple as, you know, looking at the assets that you have and trying to actually make sure, do I actually need it online all the time? Do I actually need it on the network? Or, is, or could I actually not have it as a digital, as a digital um, asset at all? Brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Um, Jit, you wanted to respond to this one as well? Yeah, right. Uh, now, as we say, crypto assets, like cryptocurrency assets, which I guess there is, and um, these are, of course, online assets. So when we have to manage them, we have to use some tools, especially we can want to use some kind of a hardware wallet or a software wallet. We have a lot of solutions in that respect. And as well, we have to use, because when we talk about cryptocurrency, it comes from this uh, concept where we have a blockchain. And what a, a blockchain does, it creates a chain based on hashing algorithm, which is for, uh, you know, integrity. So we must have a multi-signature program and a two-factor authentication to be used to make our, you know, crypto assets much more secure. Thank you. Great advice there on how to protect ourselves a little bit. Um, so, uh, Suchitra, I think we will move on to the next question now. We have a question from Amira Ibrahim. I've noticed that there are new regulations for cybersecurity over the world and the MENA region too. Do you think complying with them is enough or shall my organization implement something else? Okay, um, so Mustafa, you were first, and then we'll come to Etienne afterwards. Uh, yeah, because I'm based in the MENA region, I know that uh, we have in, in many other uh, Arab countries, in addition to Egypt, we have some regulations in the last five years, and all these regulations are talking about cybersecurity, about resilience, about business continuity, and uh, to be frank, all of them are based on ISO standards. So uh, I think that uh, uh, Amira, yes, uh, you, you should comply with these because now they are regulations. They are not best practice anymore. This is the first point. And the second point is that they are very good because they didn't make it from this scratch. They used the ISO standard. So they are built on a great foundation. And for uh, if your organization should do something else, yes, I think it's based on the nature of the organization. Is your organization a bank, a petrochemical, uh, a manufacturer? It's based on the culture of the employees, the uh, context of the organization itself. 
So it's, it's different from one organization to another organization, even in the same field. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And, and Etienne, your thoughts? Yeah, um, when it comes to rules, regulations, even the ISO standards, the one thing we need to remember when we look at these, this guidance is, and these rules, is that they are written in such a way that everyone can comply. You can't have a rule that can't be complied with. So all of these rules can be complied with by everyone. And what that means is that these things are the bare minimum. And in order to protect yourself properly, this is the basic recipe and you need to add to it. You need to customize these things to, to your own needs. Um, and that's always, you know, with the standards, with rules, regulations, they are always the bare minimum. They're things that everyone can do. There are other things that you can do over and above what everybody else can do. And I think that's the, that's the trick is to, to understand how you tailor these things to, to make your enterprise safer. Brilliant. Um, that's great. Thanks so much for that. Hopefully that's helped um, Amira. Um, Suchitra, can we have the next question, please? We have a question from Samantha in New York in the US. I have heard that free virus scanners are not that effective. Is that true? Should I invest in paid virus scanning software? Okay, thanks, Suchitra. Um, Jit, if you would like to give us some uh, advice on that one, please. Yeah, hi. Um, what I would like to say here is, again, what was talked about earlier, the security is just not a big pair. It is like an onion, which we have to peel, and it's got a lot of layers on it. So a virus scanner is a very good idea. Now, free virus scanners, are they effective? Now, anything that is free has something with it. Now, we all know there is no free lunch, right? So if there's no free lunch, then why are these there? Now, this may give you something very basic, but you have to be conscious about, are they getting something from you? Because we know if something is free, if the service is free, then we may be the, the asset that they are looking for. So yes, you can, but I think better to have some paid antivirus and uh, but if you're using microsoft microsoft's uh, built-in antivirus is good otherwise uh, there are a lot of them i'm not sure whether we can suggest something here but of course there are a lot and lots of them out there which you can go in they're all about the same and doesn't cost a lot thank you Great, thanks, Jit. So the advice then is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, does anybody else want to comment on that one or should we move on to the next question? Oh, Melanie? Yeah, just to say, you know, something's better than nothing. So, and it depends on, on, on the organization, the size, the individual. Everything that we talk about today is relative to the audience that's using it. And I think if you're talking about, you know, um, 
the free software that comes with the PC when you first buy it, obviously having something is better than nothing, but it's about understanding that multiple firewalls and multiple solutions can conflict against each other. So just being careful if you're switching from one to the other and not necessarily of the mind that everything free is necessarily not a good thing. I think, you know, the hope is they're trying to build your trust and your understanding. And if you give a, a good product or service for free for a year, then actually you're willing to pay for it and buy for it. So, you know, be skeptical, but not always, you know, to, to the detriment of not implementing something just because it's free. Yeah, I know that sounds like really good advice. Thank you. Okay, um, so teacher, what is our next question? We have a question from Jan in Belgium. I want to start a career in cybersecurity. What are the best resources to get started? Um, okay, I think Melanie was very speedy in putting her hand up for that one. So <laughs> I think that she knows the answer to this. So we'll go first to Melanie and then on to Jia, I think. Yeah, so my uh, career in cybersecurity wasn't from the traditional sort of technical background. So I fell into it sort of 17 years ago from the marketing and events hospitality. And it's about understanding cybersecurity has so many different areas that you can work on depending on what your capabilities are. Are you a problem solver? Are you a communicator? Do you like to sort of get in and, and be able to find faults and problems? So first of all, understanding first of all, what are your skills and what can you bring to the cybersecurity industry? The other thing is it's an incredible industry for having really great contacts and networks and it's a really helpful industry. So my first bit of advice would be get yourselves on LinkedIn, connect with people and influencers and thought leaders in cybersecurity space that are of interest to you. Engage in those conversations and show that you've got something valuable to add. The other thing that's been fantastic, especially during um, COVID, is the number of podcasts uh, and the number of sort of webinars that are happening. So log on to a lot of the cybersecurity webinars and, and, and a lot of the podcasts and just absorb the information and find out what is it that sparks your interest, engage in those conversations and show that you have value. And that would be my sort of advice. There are lots and lots of initiatives coming out of government at the moment that are helping people to start careers in cybersecurity um, and being able to get really, really funded opportunities as well. So, you know, look out look out there and see which ones are available and a lot of them trying to increase the cybersecurity pipeline so now couldn't be a better opportunity great thank you um so jit we'll come to you next and then etienne i'd be interested to know about your region um and the path into cybersecurity uh where you are in the world so jit first to you all right great thank you so much and uh, well what I want to say is, if you want a good career in cybersecurity, you have to gain knowledge and also the skill that comes from experience of working. So you may also want to get into a job that, that will give an exposure in cybersecurity or somewhere in security because you want to start small, but then you want to build, you want to dig deep and build high. So get yourself some small, um education or some program and then built on it small certifications and go into more about it then go into jobs start somewhere and then have a strategy plan for it and uh, well as melanie said a lot of governments across the globe now are giving a lot of financial support and encouraging education and mid-career build and switches. I'm not sure uh, what is your exact status and stage, but uh, I, I guess, Jan, that you will be able to find something and start where you are now. It doesn't matter where you are. Start small and build from there. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jit. Um, very quickly from Etienne on, um, on this one, um, and then we're on to probably our last question, I think. Yeah, um, I think here in Southern Africa, just like everywhere in the world, uh, for the last 18 months to two years, we've been locked down. Lots of organizations have uh, kind of moved work to working from home, people are working remotely. And as a result, there's been an increased focus on information and cybersecurity. And so I think there's lots of opportunities for people in the cybersecurity space. And there are careers in cybersecurity that are both technical and non-technical. Um, we need to be able to manage cyber resources. We need to be able to, to do proper um, asset management. Yeah, if you don't know what you're trying to protect, yeah, um, yeah, what's the point? So yeah, there's, there's lots of different careers within cybersecurity and they're not all technical. So really identify what your skills are, what your strengths are, what you can add to cybersecurity industry what you can add to your organization and kind of take it from there and you know same advice that Melanie gave uh network with people you know chat to people find out what you know what opportunities are available for you and there's more opportunities in cybersecurity now than they ever have been before so thank you etienne that's a really great answer and um, so we're going to go now to what will be our last question of the general q a before we move to the focus topic so suchitra what have we got for the last question all right, we have a question from Nick in Wokingham in UK. Do the panel have any favorite apps to secure mobile phones? Okay, panel, does anyone have a favorite app? Jit, we'll come to you. Well, thank you so much. Now, well, to be honest, it's not about favorite app. Well, security, as we have been talking about, it starts with us. It about me. An app cannot protect me. Uh, it is my awareness that can protect me. If I have an application, but I do not set it up properly, then that defeats the purpose of the application. So there can be no application in the world that is the foolproof, the best, and that is the ultimate security provider. So that's why I don't choose to have one application as uh, providing security. What I know the manufacturers today and the, you know, the, um, the OS, now whether you're using Android or iOS, they all have security features which are good. And they all use containerization, they all use segmentation, isolation and all these things. But many of us, I know, have the habit of running rootkit. And if we do that, your best security application will guaranteed fail. So it is about the practice and the habit. As we say today, have a good uh, hygiene to clean yourself. We also need a good cyber hygiene to keep ourselves uh, you know, away from the hackers. Thank you, Jit. That's really helpful. So um, we're now going to uh, change gear and uh, move on to our focus topic. Uh, so for those of you who are joining us in Slido, just click on the focus topic tab and enter any questions you have for Melanie. Um, so today uh, our topic is all about bringing your own device to work, um, something which may only have been an option in the past, but suddenly became an imperative for everybody, um, including not just computers, but home broadband and infrastructure. 
So what lessons can we learn from this and how can we get the best from this blend of uh, home and work technologies? I'll uh, hand over to Melanie, who's going to share her thoughts and experiences with us. Uh, thank you, Ellie. So as I touched on earlier, I sort of set up a, a cyber education awareness company many moons ago now, and it, the landscape has shifted and changed really, really dramatically over those years. Um, and it's very much where we used to really concentrate on trying to secure the enterprise and the organisation. It's actually really quite easy to do because the, the boundaries were there very specific based on our working environments, which for most people was going into an office and making sure that the devices that had been provided by the organisation were safe and secure um, but obviously COVID's really especially COVID has really shook things up and most of us now uh, are working from home or we've got a hybrid where we're working from home and obviously working in the office and because things shifted and changed so quickly initially there were a number of organizations a very very small percentage that used to have a bring your own device policy which would allow you to take your mobile device and connect it to your uh, company network which would allow people to be able to engage with social media be able to check their emails and there's some real benefits benefits of this. Um, so when we're talking about bringing your own devices, it's using devices that you've personally procured and bought and that you have and that you're allowed to access work-based um, devices. So this is accessing emails, um, data, whatever it might be that needs to do your, your job. So, but there's a real problem here in terms of expectations. And, and the reason we've sort of got this balance is because it's about balancing security controls with user expectations. So there's, there's definitely some benefits to bring your own and I'll, I'll come on to those if you can go to the next slide, please. So there's real real savings. So obviously from an organizational perspective, there's cost savings. You're not having to buy a lot of additional kit. And if you're working with a lot of contractors, this works really, really well in your favor. So you're not having to buy, maintain, and, and keep a, a lot of devices. There's also that familiarization as well. So uh, from a user perspective, when you have bought and procured a device, you're comfortable with it, you feel safe around it, and you can navigate your way around. So there's familiarization and also efficiencies being able to do that. Obviously, as employees, we're a little bit more satisfied because we know those devices, we've invested in them. And I think there's the, there's another you know misconception as well. They're actually used to, historically, a lot of organizations would find that company devices, they would actually have quite a high turnover of um, because people would accidentally lose them on trains or, or actually you know, have thefts on whatever it might be. And we actually perceive our own devices very, very differently. We tend to look after them more. We, because we've invested our money into them, we tend to protect them a lot more as well. Uh, productivity gains, because you're not switching from one device to the next, it's always there. What a lot of organizations tend to find is people are a bit more responsive, especially from a customer service point of view, is that if something comes up and it's a quick query, you can respond to it really, really quickly. So there's a lot more from a, um, a customer service point of view that tends to have a higher level of satisfaction as well. If people are a little bit more responsive and people tend to be able to respond a little bit quicker when they're using their own devices. Accessibility comes back to that. You've got access to it anywhere, any place, any time. Uh, so especially now in COVID, what we're finding is we're actually wanting to balance a lot more of our, our, our home lives with our working lives, which make us more productive as well. So there's, there's lots and lots of benefits of bring your own device, but it does come with the risks if we go on to the next slide, uh, please. So from an organisational point of view, it comes back to that initially less visibility and less control. Uh, these and 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 from that perspective, how do you control something that you don't own? And a lot of this comes down to how do you implement it? How do you manage it? And we'll come on to this uh, um, 
extra shortly. And it's the copying of data, which is the biggest risk when you're bringing your own device. So how do we prevent uh, employees taking data, which they have through their company emails and on their company systems and actually copying and pasting it into uh, personal files and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's that copying of data that's the risk. The accidental loss of, of, of data. So if that device is lost, how do we remotely wipe that? How do we protect that data? Um, and then it's around sort of third party um, app access. When we were talking about earlier, what um, apps would you recommend for being able to secure a device? Apologies, there is a road sweeper going past. This is the benefits of working from, from home. <laughs> um, so when it comes to third party apps, it's less about what apps would you have to secure the device, but it's more about the apps that we don't trust. And one of the, again, going back to user behaviors and user habits, it's actually make sure that apps that are being downloaded on your phone are reputable apps. Do they have a high rating? You know, if, if it hasn't been rated and reviewed by thousands of people and it's actually a good app and it's actually by an official source, don't download it. There is, you know, people will look at apps and think, oh, that's a great app, but make sure you read the reviews, make sure that it's accredited and that it's actually a, a, a safe app because it's those apps that will have uh, malicious software in them which will allow them access to other apps so we are all very very guilty of having an ex a policy that comes up and says do you do you allow this app to access x y and z and do we really really read what we're allowing that app access to and this comes back again to user behaviors and user habits is there are a lot of security controls in place, but we as users either switch them on or switch them off. And that's where fundamentally the risks and the flaws happen. So making sure that when we're downloading third party apps, we're looking to see what we're granting them access to. Are we granting them access to our contacts? Are we granting them access to our photos? What do we want them to? And if we're not happy with what we're giving them access to, withdrawing that. Again, malware management, how are we making sure that there's no malicious software on, on the devices? Um, out of date, again, if I'm honest, this to me is less of a risk because what we tend to find is a lot of large corporate organizations have more legacy software, out of date software that can't be updated and can't be patched. But actually, as individuals, we tend to like the latest bit of kit. We like to have the new phones. We want to have that, that status. So for me, bring your own device tends to mean that we've actually got access to better devices, more efficiency and greater you know, productivity from my company. I, I, I know that's the case. Um, lack of encryption. So this is how do we protect those devices? What password, levels of password and protection do we put on those devices? Um, and we'll talk about some of the technical controls that can enforce that. But actually, understanding that having a good, strong password, having a unique password, and again, this comes down to user education, is going to make that device more secure. Um, again, family access and auth authentication. People are worried that if people are using their own devices, then their family members may have access. Again, it's it, it's about understanding what risks are there around cybersecurity and really balancing that these are personal risks as well as company risks. And I think one of the problems historically is thinking purely about company information and how do we protect the company. And actually, if you can get people to think about protecting themselves and their own information, then the knock-on effect is that that company information will be protected. Um, so giving people access, I would argue that I know lots of individuals who have have historically given access to their work computers to their kids to entertain them. So it's this, the same risk exists, whether it's, it's work devices or home devices, it's just setting out in a policy what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. Next slide, please.
Um, so considerations, increased support costs. So the only thing to be considered is there, there will be, although there is some savings of not having to buy additional kit, potentially your technical team or your IT team are having to support multi, multiple different devices with multiple different configurations and multiple settings. So if you're actually providing support for bring your own devices, there could be an increased support cost. Communicating the policy is probably where the most amount of investment needs to happen. Because I say, it's about balancing expectations uh, with the risks of cybersecurity. And I think what we're trying to sort of say is to protect your device is actually protecting you as an individual. And I think if you can communicate your policy really, really effectively in a way that people understand, and actually, if you were to lose your own personal device, would you want somebody going through it and being able to see, or would you feel quite comfortable for the company to remotely wipe that? Well, to be honest with you, I would rather they would. I would rather that my company was able to provide a backup of that device so that in the event of loss, I, I, I can recover some of that. So there's different things. And I think understanding the, the difference between the information on that device. So are you as an individual backing up your personal photos? but you know that the company is responsible for backing up the, the, the information side of things. And there are a lot of technical solutions out there um, so, for example, within our organisation, we work on a on a, a G Suite platform and there is the ability within there for us to be able to make sure that actually only the information is presentable and viewed once an element of authentication and remote management is placed on that device. But I have to get the employees to sign up to agree that, I, um, you know, they're willing to let me wipe that device, but it's easy for me to re retract and remove um, the access to that information through the Google policy uh, remotely, meaning that former employees no longer have access to that information. So it's about understanding what is your current sort of setup and information. One of the, the other considerations is people using their own mobile device, their own mobile numbers. So when you're customer uh, facing agent, are you allowing people access to your personal number? Is that something you're going to take, take with you? And that's really easily overcome by having uh, Voice over, you know, voice over IP telephone system. So, for example, within our organisation, we have uh, 3CX, for example, and that allows that person to have an app on their phone that allows them to make phone calls, which isn't making those phone calls specifically from that their own personal number. So you're still segregating the, the work and the play, and it's really having that that mindset that people understand how important and valuable the company information is, as as it is their own personal information. There's lots of conversations that can be had internally that make people feel really empowered. But actually, these are really, really powerful pieces of kit. They contain a lot of information, a lot of it that's really important to us personally, but also to the company. Um, and it's really having that mindset that it needs to, to be looked after. As I say, remote wiping we've, we've touched on and being able to enforce it. So um, as I say, there's, there's so many technical solutions out there now that sort of Microsoft have, that Google have, that allow us to access just the information we need to, but be able to re remove that uh, with, re with relative ease. And I think from a small organization perspective, there are so many more benefits than there are necessarily risks. Uh, next slide, please. So the first thing of what, what should you do before sort of implementing a bring your own device policy is identify the risks, okay? And, and then weighing those up against the benefits and turn around and say, okay, what do we want people to have access to? What don't we want people to have access to? How can we make sure what sensitive information? Is there certain pieces of information that you won't allow people to have access to via their mobile devices? Identifying what devices people have, are they up to date? And this is all about user education and basic cyber hygiene. So 
is you know is the device password protected is there um antivirus on on there is there updates that are done regularly and all these sort of things are actually really good behaviors and habits that we all should be doing anyway that would remove and emit sort of 95 percent of the security breaches and issues that we have making sure that you're developing the policy but with the user in mind get them involved when you're writing your policy and explaining what the expectation of the organization is but also what the expectations of the user and as soon as we understand what has been implemented and why it's been implemented we actually do embrace that far better and letting them know how we're enforcing that policy with technical controls so getting them to understand what pieces of software and kit we're asking people to sign up to and why and the benefits that it brings them from a protection point of view user education is you know fundamentally the key aspect here and the key point and getting people to buy into this um, and as i say there is that knock-on effect if you can teach somebody to be more secure and have security considerations in their personal life the knock-on effect is they will be more careful and and more protective of the company information okay and next slide yeah um so consider the fact that if you put too many controls on a user device they will find a workaround so make sure you're having those conversations with employees and finding out, you know, are, are you implementing the policy or, you know, why are you working around it? What are you trying to reject? What are we stopping? Making sure that, you know, only people have access to the information that they need to have access to. We're all a bit guilty of thinking, OK, we'll let everybody have access to all areas. But do people really need to have access to certain files? And a lot of that is configured within our, our network and within our sharing and information sharing settings. And so understanding who, who has access and who doesn't have access, explaining very, you know, very clearly why it's not good advice and it's not recommended that family members have access to, to your devices and how easy it is to create create additional profiles on devices to stop people accessing areas that they shouldn't have access to. You know, your kids don't go about doing things with malicious intent. They do things because something pops up and it's in the middle of them playing their games. So it's about having that under understanding, making sure that there is strong authentication on all apps, on all systems. So making sure that two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication is enabled on all um, online services. So whether that's emails, whether that's social media, uh, and that's really good behavior for all of us. So in the event of us having weakened terrible passwords, if somebody guesses our passwords or we accidentally give our passwords to our, our family, then actually by having multi-factor authentication, it removes the risk of, of anybody going onto those online systems. And making sure that for all the online systems that you have, that you are monitoring who has access to. A lot of the time people think that you really, really need to have a lot of cybersecurity understanding and you've got to have a lot of technical understanding to be able to see. But actually, as an administrator of a, a Google suite, as a, as a small organization, I can see who's accessing what information, when they're accessing it, when the last um, modifications were made and what devices people were accessing on. And this is everything you can do from a dashboard. It really is that simple. It's about understanding what platforms you have and what mechanisms there are. So it's about going in and, and having a look um, and again just making sure that all devices have good um, and strong uh, passwords and encryption on those and getting that user education I could go on this subject Ellie for forever in a day but it's a it's a big subject and hopefully I've given people <laughs> some considerations in that that short sort of 10 minute block you have for sure Melanie loads of great content and advice in there thank you I think we've got time for a couple of questions on this focus topic um uh, so teacher do we have some questions on the focus topic 
Yes, we have a question from Rohit in Bangalore in India. Should there be different BYOD policies for staff based on their responsibilities and job roles? I think this okay, came Lenny, back we'll to the staff. Yeah, sorry. I'll ask you to go first and then we'll see if, if Jit can add anything to this to the subject. Yeah, I think this came back to Mustafa's point previously in in the sense of you you kind of you need one policy that is very, very clear, but has classifications who should have access to what information to do their jobs and making sure that you're enforcing that. Uh, so, no, it should be very sort of very one defined policy, but making sure that the classifications are specified as who should have access to what and why. Thank you, Jit. Absolutely, Melanie. Um, what I understand is, Rohit, uh, there's a little gap in understanding about policies and procedure and also about the practice documentation. Now, we need to have one policy because policy is a guideline, is, is, is a process document that gives you an overall high-level guideline. It's like a law to the organization, which must be followed if not the consequences there. So it is same for all, but with the different levels of people with the different responsibilities, roles and other things, there will have to be some separation or difference in some of the implementation, which has to be managed through the procedural documents, through the configuration documents and through other set of documents. So this is all about how you manage this administrative part of security. Thank you very much. Um, okay, Satitra, next question on the focus topic, please. We have a question from Arman in New Delhi in India. What are the biggest threats when allowing users to connect their personal mobile phones to our corporate Wi-Fi? Melanie, we'll, we'll come to you and then Etienne. Yeah, so there's always a risk by letting anybody connect to your corporate network because they've got a, a door into your systems. And it's really, I think the important thing to understand is it's really easy to contain things by giving guest and user access. Um, and again, this, this is the same problem you know, what we're facing now is people going on to public Wi-Fi and public networks is actually if, if you can see into a network, then people can see and arguably find a route into your device. And that's why we sort of recommend that you don't go on public uh, Wi-Fi or networks without uh, a virtual private network, without actually that having a, a wrap around it, a tunnel to be able to, to protect you on that. Um, I'll open it up to the rest of the panel. Etienne? Oh, we've got you on mute, I'm afraid, Etienne. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I, I was going to say the biggest threat with mobile devices on corporate networks is that as a corporate, you don't know what's on those devices um, and you have no control over those devices. And at least with bring your own device, you're allowing people to connect their devices to your network. You've got a policy in place. If you don't have any rules, any controls, you really are opening yourself up to, to, to trouble by allowing people to connect their mobile devices that you've got no control over to your corporate network. And I think it, it is a big concern. Uh, you don't know what they've got on that device. You don't know whether they've rooted that device. You don't know how secure that device is. Um, and I think, I think it's important that you have policies in place that control those kinds of things. 
Thank you, Etienne. Okay, so we're going to do one more question and then I'm going to come to each of the panel for their closing thoughts on today's session. So last question of the day, please, Suchitra. We have a question from Sarbojit, our panelist. Following a ransomware attack, I need to format my device disk that has my company's data. Is there any issue? Okay, great question. Thank you. Um, so um, we'll go to uh, Mustafa and then Simon, I think, on this one. Okay, uh, I think that it's not about formatting or deleting because uh, you don't know what is the root cause of this attack and whatever you will do, they will come back again for you. So the first thing to do is to know what is the root cause before formatting. Because if you do a format, you are erasing any type of evidence you have ever got. So don't start with format. Don't ever do a format. Okay, Simon, your thoughts, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from my perspective, you now any any uh, response and recovery activity that uh, that actually stems from a cyber attack needs to be understood by all the parties who are involved in that process. So that if if we do have to do a format of a device, we should now everyone needs to understand the impact of that now and the reason why that needs to be there and that needs to be a, a, a well-defined agreed recovery and response process that we have against that particular cyber attack. So the more that we can actually think like a bad actor, the more that we can actually think about the issues that we're going to have and have appropriate response and recovery plans that we can execute against that particular activity, the better that will be. Marvellous, thank you. Um, okay, great. So um, firstly, I'd like to thank the audience for some brilliant questions today. I think the content has been excellent and the panellists have answered it uh, really, really well. So I'm just going to come around now and ask each of the panellists for their closing thoughts. Um, the one thing that you think the audience should take away uh, from today or um, anything else you'd like to share. So um, Mustafa, I'm just going to um, start with you um, and then we'll work our way around uh, to Jip. Okay, I think that today's uh, topic is very important. And uh, now, as you can know, it's not related to those who are working in IT. It's about everyone. Due to COVID-19 for about two years now, we are living uh, a different lifestyle. So if you were going to the supermarket, taking your orders by your own self, no, now everything is done online, which means that everyone should have a proper awareness about cybersecurity. Great, thank you. And on to you then, Jit. Thoughts on today's show? Hi. Uh, well, as we were talking about, as Melanie has also mentioned a few times, that it's all about us. So today, all of our listeners and viewers who are there, it's all about you and even us as panelists. So we need to be <clears throat> aware. So more and more questions come we can speak, we can share, you can share your thoughts and problems. We can build up the awareness which needs to be built up because we all have some gap, some weakness somewhere as a human being and we need to build it up. It's not just technology alone, it's everyone together. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Simon? 
Yeah, great. I think it's a great panel. Uh, what I really, what I really like about the panel and the process is the fact that we're actually talking about risks and we're talking about issues and we're actually discussing them uh, in a in a real life environment. And I think that's that's really cool. I think my my closing comments would be, we needed we need to put a risk lens on all and all the things that we do. You know, there has been a, an, I would suggest an overly focus on compliance. Uh, I think we need to move to a more focus around risk understand the risk to the assets, understand the risk to you know, the behaviors that we have, and therefore how do we change those, those behaviors and how do we those how do we secure those those assets? So to me, everything needs to have a risk lens over it. And I think that's a very, very important thing. And that will certainly help us on our on our cyber uh, cyber journey. Thank you so much, Simon. Um, Etienne? I think from me whether it's corporate security or whether it's private security, private information, cybersecurity is something that every single one of us needs to spend some time focused on. And, you know, the point has been made a few times, and I think Melanie will repeat, you know, uh, and I'm probably stealing some of her thunder here. It really is about, you know, people being the weakest link. Yeah, I'm um, quick, Melanie, to think of something else now, Etienne. <laughs> Thank you. It's quite interesting, actually, because the first thing I've got here is the strongest line of defence, because Jit mentioned it earlier. We're not the weakest link. We are the strongest line of defence. And actually, it's about how do we as individuals make this the safest place to live and work online? You know, it's, it's you know, to coin a phrase from uh, the National Cybersecurity Centre. And I think there's lots and lots of frameworks we touched on. There's ISO 27001, whether it's Cyber Essentials, whether it's NIST. And actually, all these can seem quite daunting and quite complicated, but they're just frameworks, tick lists of things that we can engage and we can make a start on. And doing something is better than nothing, but it starts with us at the heart of that. And it starts with really, really good communication and communicating what those risks are and how we can protect ourselves. And again, there's, there's, there's lots of legislation at play because what we need to remember especially with bring your own devices although we are the device owners we're not the data controllers so I'll, I'll leave that on a GDPR question as to whether or not you, you know what considerations but it's it's down to the fine print what are you signing when you're buying an app versus you know what did you agree with people that you would allow them access to if it's not your data so lots of considerations but it all starts with the real basics of us having really good cyber hygiene Thank you so much. You've all been great panelists. Um, just one final word then from our, our question master. So Chitra, thank you for gathering the questions and uh, managing them so well for us today. Your final thoughts on the show? Thank you, Ellie. And I've really enjoyed the discussion and cyber is something which, you know, most of us kind of tend to overlook and when it comes to our personal cyber security. And I think this discussion is going to really help me go back and personally review what I'm doing. So thank you. Wonderful. Thanks, teacher. What a great panel. Okay, so um, next Monday, then, um, we have two shows uh, next Monday on the 20th. You can join us at 7am British summer time, 11.30am in India or 4pm in Australia. Um, as we uh, discuss levelling up business relationships, uh, what makes for good relationships and uh, those things we should all avoid. Our focus topics will be about the role of the business relationship manager. What is it and how do we become one? Uh, later in the day on Monday at 1 p.m. British summer time, 2 p.m. in Europe and 8 a.m. over in the US, we'll be discussing projects and change management uh, with a particular interest in online resources uh, from templates to methods and projects to portfolios. 
Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and how you can join us to level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much, everyone, and we'll see you again for the next show.